Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussion of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. This is a prepaid collect call from an incarcerated individual at County Detention Center. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. Guess what time it is? It's time for crime! In this episode, we will continue to discuss Ernesto Miranda's case. We hope to answer the following questions. How vindictive are you? Do you know how to invoke your rights? How much would you charge for your autograph? So listen in and find out more. But for now, try not to end up on an episode unless you're a guest. Hey guys, welcome back. This is your host, Vanny. And this is Kat. Hey Kat, so how's it going? Everything going good again? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Just good. still keep it, keeping the head down and just moving through. So it's getting there. Good, good, good. I'm glad. Nothing crazy on my end either. Nothing so far at least that I know of. <laughs> no, no. Things are, things are holding, holding well. Exactly, holding well. And from my knowledge, I still have no updates from any of our past cases. I've tried looking to see if I could find that um, Diane Downs. Oh, her parole? Her parole thing and didn't find anything as of yet. So just thought I'd mention that to you. Yeah, okay. And there's a lot of cases going on. And I think the courts are really backed up. Mm-hmm. Because it just seems like these cases are starting to overlap, and I think they're just everybody's scrunching them on the calendar and trying to get going. So yeah, it may be a minute before we have anything. Any update? And then with the numbers on the virus kind of going up and all over the place, I'm pretty sure that doesn't help either. Well, before we get back into our case that we have, let's remind everybody of last week's question, shall we, Miss Cap? Oh, absolutely. So last week's question was, what killer was caught because he left a bloody footprint on his victim? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Who could <laughs> this, that be? This is interesting. Uh, so this was Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, as most people know him as. He left Ooh. the print of his Avia sneakers when he kicked 61-year-old Joyce Lucille Nelson in the head. The Avia prints were found at the scenes of several of the Night Stalker's murders. Ooh. So I thought that was very interesting because that really changed a lot for investigators on making a way of getting the prints, saving the prints so they could use it as evidence for later on. Yeah. Ooh, done in by a tread. Ooh. <laughs> Burn your shoes. Oh, you shouldn't have kicked the victim. Yeah, exactly. Poor little lady, right? She's a 61-year-old. Yeah. Kicking her. Psycho. But anyways, well, if you want to remind everybody a little bit about the case we're talking about. Yeah. So on June 13th, 1966, the U.S. Supreme Court made a decision to establish the principle that all criminal suspects must be advised of their rights before interrogation. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you can say and will be used against you in the court of law. It, you have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed to you. So I have to say, when you read that, the first thing that popped in my head was rush hour. Because <laughs> there's a part when he does the Miranda rights and he's like, and if you can't afford one, we will provide you the most dumbest <laughs> attorney. 
something crazy like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I never, you'll never be able to take that. Like, and that's, I think my biggest awareness that I want to bring out to our listeners is that because we watch so many Hollywood movies that has a lot of crime and a lot of detectives and, you know, CSI, Law and Order, all these things, right? That your rights is not something that should be held like minute. It should be something you take serious, something you should educate yourself with. And yes, I make fun of Rush Hour and the way he reads the Miranda rights because it is funny, but it's important that you know but a great example without being funny is uh, Mr. Alec Baldwin. Oh, yeah. He needs to shut up. He And he goes on every, like... Every possible medium about, I didn't do it. First off, he's changed his story 18 times. So he's just putting the noose around his neck. When they say you have the right to remain silent, you need to exercise that. Exercise that right. And that means talking to the media, even if you're not locked up. Yeah, you are not going to talk yourself out of it. Just shut up and let a professional do what they need to do. I agree. Because the worst thing you can do, and I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, but he needs to shut up. I don't even know how he's going to have a lawyer that wants to defend him because he's, he's blowing it. He keeps incriminating himself more and more. Exactly. You know, and then he keeps sitting there going, well, I didn't do it. I'm the actor. It's not me. It's the producer. Who's the producer? (laughs) Oh, my God. It's like Jekyll and Hyde. So, yeah, that's why I just felt like this was a really important case to do. Even though it's old, it is so significant in everyday life. Modern day. Anything that that can happen. It's so relevant. So, yeah, we left off that the Supreme Court had reviewed the case and they decided in a very slim 5-4 margin to go ahead and overturn his conviction and say that, you know, he was not given his rights. And this had a significant impact on law enforcement in the U.S. by making what has become known as a Miranda warning part of routine police procedure to ensure that suspects were informed of their rights. So after this decision came down in the 60s, it like spread, you know, city, state, county, federal all the way up to the FBI, mm-hmm. that you need to read someone their rights and they need to say they understand them, you know, and if and they acknowledge it, acknowledge it or have it repeated or explained in further detail, you know, or they could waive them, but they need to be able to have those rights. And this concept quickly caught on across the country with American law enforcement agencies who came to call this procedure. It's now known as Mirandizing. Mm-hmm. You know, did you Mirandize the suspect? Yes, sir, I did. And I just wanted to mention real quick to the ACLU attorneys uh, that helped work it on his case was Robert J. Corcoran, John J. Flynn, John P. Frank, Paul G. Urich, and Robert Jensen, and all these guys worked pro bono and argued that his rights were violated. So they argued it on February 28th, 1966, and it was decided on June 13th of 1966. So they had it almost six months. Yeah, it's a good amount of time. So there was a great fear in law enforcement, though, that this whole Miranda thing now was going to undermine police's ability to do their job. And I respectfully disagree. I don't think it's hindered them one iota, and I think it's forced them to be fairer. Right. I agree. So I think one thing that is important that people should be aware is that, okay, so the court made a decision in the Miranda versus Arizona or in the Supreme Court. So 
what happens to Mr. Miranda, right? He gets to get retried because his first trial was not fair because of his rights were violated. Yeah. So he got a brand new trial. How exciting. He gets a brand new trial and uh, attorney Flynn was appointed to represent Miranda in his retrial uh, with the written confession now being omitted from the prosecuting evidence and the state case was greatly weakened. So that made a huge difference now, right? Now, expecting to be released after his retrial, he was working on a custodial battle for his child um, with Atwila Hoffman. But then Hoffman was like, no, no, no. She approached authorities and revealed to them that Miranda had verbally confessed to the kidnapping and rape of Jameson while he was incarcerated. So this is another suspicion. Yeah. Because she wanted things to go her way. It's like, I have something that I'm going to use and you're going to be staying in jail, sir. And you're not taking my child away. So this new evidence now was ruled as admissible and that in, it, that in that a common law wife could indeed testify against her spouse. So then Miranda was then found, guess what, guilty and sentenced to a 20 to 30 year term in jail. So he sat in prison until 1972. I just have to say that that is ridiculous. So vindictive. There's no evidence that he was the one that did this to her. But because, you know, he was going through this custodial battle because he wanted his child, the common law wife was like, oh, he confessed to me, by the way. Yeah, well, where were you all this time then? If this happened, if there was a supposed confession. Exactly. And all these attorneys work day and night on this case so that you can go, oh, yeah, he confessed to me. Oh, guilty. Boom. Mm -hmm. What? Okay. Things were just out of control. So, yeah, uh, he did not have a happy life. Absolutely. But that was really sad because then he ended up having to do that time. And, you know, here you're thinking that maybe he's going to get out and get to be free or whatever, even though he didn't have the greatest background, as we mentioned in our first episode. But this leads me to, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit about the Fifth Amendment and the future of Miranda and kind of go to, like, what happens to life after Miranda. Because we do find out that he does... Do, he does his time, but he does get out. And so kind of give you some updates and fun facts. But so after like the crit, the criticism that you mentioned about the Fifth Amendment, uh, it had less criticism and is considered to be a fundamental American right. While several minor revisions have been en- enacted upon the ruling, the core rights of the accused have remained intact. Uh, the cases in which Miranda ruling was modified are the following. And so there's a whole list of cases that... People were not told their rights. And this is why I like to emphasize, please, please educate yourself of your rights that you have. The right to counsel with an attorney. You don't have to, you know, spill the beans. Uh, You don't have to, don't think that the cops are always your best friends or they're in your, they're in your favor. Because even if you didn't do anything, I always would suggest that talk to an attorney. It's better to be safe than sorry. I mean, they're there for a reason and that's why uh, public defenders available for you. Exactly. And if there truly is enough evidence, then it will prove your guilt. So you don't have to help anybody. Which is interesting. One of the things that I found in one of the cases was uh, Illinois versus Perkins. This is a case back in the 90s that the Miranda warning is not required before an undercover agent asks questions to a suspect that could result in incriminating statements. Oh, because I think they were protecting the sanctity of the undercover officer because they've got to be able to do things that normal people wouldn't because they're undercover. So another one that I thought was extremely interesting was right after Miranda about, you know, being able to um, 
have your rights read to you was in 1964, Escobedo v. Illinois. And in this one, a 22-year-old, again, Mexican man, and his sister were arrested in connection with the fatal shooting about 11 days before they were arrested. So the gist of this case of shortened down was he was not allowed access to his lawyer despite several requests. So now he knew with because of Miranda, he had the right to an attorney, mm-hmm. but they were ignoring him. Conversely, while he's in the room asking for a lawyer, his lawyer is denied access to come up and see him. So not only did they ignore his right to request an attorney, they were blocking the attorney. So due to the ruling on that, the case of Escobedo v. Illinois now comes in the fact that that doubly ensures. And I think that goes a little bit more for the actual attorney to have more right and access to his client, to their client. And then one that still happened in in 2010 was uh, Burgess v. Tompkins. And in that one, it talks about criminal suspects who are aware of the right to silence and an attorney, but choose not to unambiguously invoke them, may find any subsequent voluntary statements treated as implied waiver of their rights and used as or as part of evidence. At least one scholar agreed that Tompkins effectively gutted Miranda. So you have, okay, here's your rights. But now if you choose to just say something and bust out with something, now that can't be used against you. Now we've got the scales like a little balanced because here's your right not to say anything. But if you utter something, well, that's toast then. Which brings me to the next of the feature of Miranda, right? What's the pros and cons to the Miranda right? So... I have a list of some pros and, I guess, some cons, right, to the Miranda rights. So the pros of Miranda right, it ensures people have full knowledge of all their rights. Not every person who is arrested or interrogated understand the law and what rights they have. So again, like I say, educate and protect yourself. It limits the ability to appeal a decision. By informing a suspect of their rights, law enforcement limits the ability of someone to appeal a decision that goes against them in the court system. Number three, it levels the playing field. In the U.S., socioeconomic factors are limited in the legal system thanks to Miranda rights. Even if someone cannot afford an attorney, one can be appointed to represent them. And then some cons to the Miranda rights is it doesn't incorporate the nuisance of local laws. For U.S. states that borders Mexico, for example, law enforcement tells non-citizens that they may inform their country's consulate of the arrest or interrogations. Others tell people that they have the right to terminate an interview A generalized set of Miranda rights cannot cover every state law in the system of the U.S. governance. The people, number two, people may not understand their rights yet still legally waive them. If someone answers yes, that they understand their rights and are willing to speak with law enforcement, then they have effectively waived their rights and may not have realized this, which happens a lot. And the third one is Miranda rights can be waived in certain circumstances. When there is a danger to public safety, U.S. law allows for a public safety exception to these rights. Questions to confirm public safety without briefing a suspect of their rights is still considered to be admissible. I came upon four uh, little facts versus myth mm-hmm. that hopefully will take out some of the confusion. Because again, from seeing all these TV shows and stuff, people kind of have an idea of what it's supposed to be and never believe TV. Correct. I mean, unless it's a full-blown historical documentary, don't believe what is on TV. Myth number one, police must read Miranda at the time of arrest. No. No. And the reality is they're only required to read it if you are in custody, not 
if you're just detained. So if the police stop and they're asking you, you know, what did you see? That's not Miranda. They're, they're asking general questions. You're not a suspect. It's like, what color was the truck? Did he have a hat? That's just the general question. Knowledge. So just wanting knowledge. Yeah, that's not anything that you have to be Mirandized. You are not in custody. So another myth, if Miranda isn't read, it's an illegal arrest and they, you have to be let go. No. No. Reality is if the police question an arrestee about an incident after an arrest, after reading Miranda, the statements will normally be inadmissible in court, but it has no effect on any other evidence, which is independent of those statements. So like, again, they've got to be able to ask questions and have a general you know, investigation of some sort to get going. They don't have to read you Miranda rights until you are in custody, which means you are no longer free to go. Then you have to be Mirandized. And just because they detain you and ask some questions does not mean that you're in custody. Correct. Because detaining, they're like, we're asking you some questions. And you're like, you know, I don't have to legally be here. I got to go. See ya. Mm -hmm. And then the police are like, yeah, we'll have to track them down and find another way to get what we need. But if you're handcuffed and you're taken and you're put in an interrogation room and that door is locked and you can't leave, you are now in custody and therefore you should be Mirandized. Correct. If you invoke Miranda, police can't ask you anything else. Well, you can invoke Miranda and you can, you can remain silent and they can talk and say whatever they want to say and share whatever they want to say. They can't ask you any questions that would require testimonial answers. So they can't get things, ask questions that, that would have you answer things like... Directly about a case. Directly about, well, about a case or directly about the case or what they're asking you. But they can ask you non-investigatory questions. So even though you've been Mirandized, they can ask your name, they can ask your address... You know, they can ask where you work, stuff like that. They're just general everyday questions, which they could find out anyway. Uh, you're not really helping yourself. But, you know, you can answer, you can tell somebody your name and it doesn't mean you're giving away anything. Right. But they can still ask questions even though you're Mirandized. And if you really want to be a snot and not answer it and give them your name, that's fine too. Because I'm sure they're going to fingerprint you and find out who you are anyway. And then uh, another myth is there is no exception. Once someone is arrested, anything they say before being Mirandized doesn't count. Nope. Not true. Again, Miranda only covers questioning while under arrest. So if an arrestee isn't being questioned, but someone makes a spontaneous utterance, those statements can be used in court. Mm -hmm. So again, it just pays to just chill. And there's also a thing called exigent circumstance. So there, if there is a risk to public, uh, such as a discarded firearm, uh, a person, a missing kidnap victim, the public safety exception allows officers to ask questions about the risk and the aftermath of an arrest prior to reading Miranda. So if a uh, suspect saw a white van grab this girl off a street and drive away and police are asking you, do you know anybody that drives a white van? Do you have a white van? Yes, this question is about the case, but it's exigent because they're trying to possibly save the person that's been kidnapped. So your Miranda doesn't really matter at that point. Right. And it's like, you're not the suspect either. They're asking you questions of something, a crime that happened. They want to know 
if you were a witness or not. Right. So now I wonder how many of our listeners really know their Miranda rights. They really know what the warning is. Mm -hmm. What I was going to mention was that sometimes what I've heard, uh, this is a couple of cases that I know of personally, like friends and whatever, whatnot, that, you know, they decided to exercise their Miranda rights and they get, you know, after interrogation, they're locked up or whatever, and they don't want to speak with anybody that they'll indicate that the person or the suspect or whoever they're holding would, that they stated that they wanted to hurt themselves. And so they go into 24-hour watch where they take off all of their clothes and so they feel humiliated because they didn't want to talk to the cops. Yeah, it's it's not a fun, not a fun thing, but you're still better off Yes, being a little humiliated and just suck it up and maintain your rights because boy, once you give those rights away. You're toast. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, you could be toast anyway, Mm -hmm. but once you're arrested, the odds are are definitely against you. So I'm sure everybody knows your Miranda warning number one, the right to remain silent. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that one's number one. Uh, Number two, anything you say can be used against you in court and you have the right to talk to a lawyer. All you need to say is, I want my lawyer. Interrogation stops. Yes. The interrogation stops. Some you know, meaningless questions about name, address, stuff like that, that may, that may linger, but the interrogation's over once you invoke that you want an attorney. So number three, it's like everybody knows that, oh, I can have a lawyer, but three is important too, because not only can you have a lawyer, but you have the right to have the lawyer present during questioning. So if they're asking you questions, the lawyer could be, don't answer that. You need to listen to the guy you're paying for. Right. You know, that's just so important. Uh, Number four is if you can't afford a lawyer, one will be appointed to you before any questioning if you wish. So again, if you can't afford an attorney, you you have the right to go up, not till my lawyer's here. Now, it's probably going to mean you're going to be fingerprinted and taken down and you may spend two days in jail before legal aid can get you an attorney. But again, far better than saying something that you know, you're going to be here a lot longer. Mm-hmm. And then the last one that says, if you decide to answer questions now without a lawyer present, you have the right to stop answering at any time. So you could say, okay, I live here. I do this. I do this. You know, do you know anybody that drives a white van? Yes or no, blah. And then you can just stop at any time. My advice is you stop at the beginning, but you can stop and invoke and say, I need a lawyer at any time. And sometimes it'll start off uh, with just basic questioning. And then the questions start to get a little deeper. And that's, nope, I'm invoking. I want my my attorney. And so the waiver to that is after they read those five rights, then they say, do you understand the rights I have just read to you? With these rights in mind, do you wish to speak to me? And it's amazing how many people continue to speak. Yes. Because so many people think that they could talk their way out of it. They feel they can, at least. Yeah. And trust me, 90% of the time you can't. And that's why there's people that will speak for you. Because that's, that's their job. They know the law. Well, these detectives are trained to interrogate you. Detectives are predators. And so, yeah, they need, they're trying to solve a case. Their goal is to solve a case. And if you're one of the suspects, they're going to try to see, okay, is this the person? Is this... They're doing their job. Yep. But you should know your rights. And that's why I highly, highly like. Yeah. Who can I weaken? Who can I break down? Who can I get to slip up? Mm -hmm. And then I can move forward and start to close my case. Right. They can move on to the next case. 
Well, that was some good education I hope you guys can take. But as you may wonder, I know I wondered, okay, so what happened to Mr. Miranda? So he was actually paroled in 1972. And the funny thing is that after he was released, he started selling autographed Miranda warning cards for a buck (laughs) fifty. Oh, kudos for that. That's awesome. Yeah. I found a photo of one on Google Photos of his signature on one of the Miranda Wrights cards. So I thought that was very funny to see. Yeah, it is because I think when this uh, Supreme Court uh, ruling came down and it was new, they, they printed the cards and gave them to police so that they would remember to say it and they would say it accurately. And we don't use the cards anymore, and I'm not really sure when they went away, but I think now police officers, is just drilled into their head. They just have it memorized. Yeah. And they just know to say it, so there's no no card to hang out. But this guy, like, for the next couple of years after he was being paroled, like, he got arrested several times for, like, minor driving offenses. He eventually lost his license. He was arrested for possession of a gun. The charges were dropped. Not sure exactly what happened. He ended up violating his parole and he was sent back to the prison for another year. Like this guy just, like he liked it in prison or what? I don't know. Maybe he just gave up because just the way everything happened, he maybe he just didn't didn't care care anymore. Yeah. So then in uh, January 31st, 1976, after his release for violating his parole, he was at a bar and he, a fight broke out in downtown Phoenix in which Miranda got stabbed. Yeah. And he died en route to Good Samaritan Hospital. They said several several Miranda cards were found on his person. Uh, Miranda was buried at the city of Mesa Cemetery in Mesa, Arizona. The funny and crazy thing about this whole case, the guy that stabbed uh, Mr. Miranda got his Miranda rights read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, what? It's just a hard luck life. Oh, yeah. I mean, to this day, I'm just going over it now and like going over this case makes me question, like, was he really innocent? Because there was... No evidence proving that this guy did this to this poor girl. I I know. It was still shady, the whole thing. The whole thing's shady. So to me, I just feel like, yeah, maybe he had a bad past and all these things could play into effect. But did he actually do the crime is my my question. Because I feel like there's no proof. Yeah, there's not enough evidence for me. That's Mm -mm. for sure. So I had found a a few fun facts and some things that I wanted to mention. So, So Peter's cousin... In Australia, just became an uh, an attorney in Australia, in Sydney. Oh, congratulations! So yes, we're pretty proud of her. So I asked How her. Exciting! I asked her. So do you guys have Miranda rights? And she's like, "Is that the like you have the right to remain silent?" And I said, "Yeah." Go. What do you guys call it over there? And she says, "Uh, the right to remain silent." <laughs> it's not called Miranda <laughs> rights. So I um, found out that the right to remain silent around the world, which is basically the Miranda warning, has legal is part of the legal system of 108 countries or jurisdictions around the world wow so i found a link of like all the countries with all the their jurisdictions of the and so i'll make sure to put that in our blog for mr ernesto so the extra like if you live in texas new mexico arizona california which are the four states that border mexico Suspects who are not U.S. citizens are given an additional warning, which says, if you're not a U.S. citizen, you may contact your country's consulate prior to any questionings. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So there are six rules to the Miranda rules. One is evidence must be must have been gathered. So if the suspect did not make a statement during the interrogation, the fact that he was not advised of his Miranda rights 
is of no importance. The evidence must be testimonial. It implies that only to testimonial evidence that, as the term is defined under the Fifth Amendment. Three, the evidence must have been obtained while the suspect was in custody. The evidence must have been the product of interrogation. The interrogation must have been conducted by state agents. So it can't be some rando. (laughs) (laughs) And the evidence must be offered by the state during criminal prosecution. So one of the interesting things that I found out about one of the Phoenix attorneys, Larry DeBus, is that he actually died this year uh, here in Phoenix. He died of pulmonary fibrosis at the age of 84. Oh my, I did not know that. So some little fun facts about him. He was a University of Arizona graduate and he was admitted to the State Bar of Arizona in 1967. So prior to becoming an attorney, he was a Phoenix police detective and one of, was one of the investigators who interrogated Ernesto Miranda in the 1963 rape case. Oh, So that's where uh, he was involved in the case. But interesting enough, he also represented Winnie Ruth Judd. And if you guys remember a few episodes before, we talked about Miss Miss Judd. We did. And if you don't remember, she was the one that was uh, murdering and dismembering and packing her friends in trunks. Yeah, the trunk murderess. (laughs) Yep. So he helped her get out of parole in 1971. He later then represented Max Dunlap, one of the men convicted in the car bombing that killed Arizona Republic reporter Don Bowles in 1976. And he also represented the late country singer Glenn Campbell after he was arrested in Phoenix on suspicions of drunk driving and aggravated assault in 2003. Oh, yeah. He went to Tent City. So, yeah, that was uh, some interesting things. What I found really cool was uh, weird fun facts about Ernesto was that I found his booking card. And his fingerprint card. And some of the things that not get mentioned on here, but it was kind of cool, was that it said that he was a truck driver. That was his occupation. And that his right index finger was at the first joint amputated. And he had a tattoo on his right hand that said EM and a Black Panther tattooed on the right arm. Hmm. That was interesting. But in his fingerprints, what I want to mention is that he, it says that it's amputated. So if you look at the fingerprint... Ooh. That was kind of <laughs> interesting. But, you know, when he was arrested, all he had was a, on, on his property was a belt, key, wallet, and a lighter. So he had to have been a smoker. Yeah, I think pretty much most people were back then. Yeah, he lived on 2525 West Mariposa in Phoenix, Arizona. That was the address. Oh, okay. Mariposa. I think that's that's south. So I was like, I know I've seen Mariposa, but I don't remember exactly. I want to say it's south of 10. I don't know. Have to look that up. I was thinking it was around Glendale Avenue, but maybe I'm wrong. Dun, dun, dun. We'll have to find that out. Yeah, so I just thought that was pretty interesting. And also, in my research for our local peeps who are here, I uh, came upon, I did not realize that Phoenix police have a museum. Oh, yeah. And so they it's 140 years of history from 1888 to present. And guess what they have there? A Miranda exhibit. So they have the desk that he was booked at and the chair he sat in and a bunch of other stuff. So that's interesting. We'll put that We'll put that info on the website. If anybody's interested in going checking it out. Yeah. I would like to go check it out. I want to go check it out. We should make it a, uh, what's it called? A field trip. Yeah. <laughs> Investigatory field trip. So I looked, I Googled the address and it's South of Camelback. Oh, all right. It's close to the I-17 in Camelback. So that's crazy, right? Ooh, that's close to Glendale. Yeah. It's crazy. But 
Anyways, that comes to a wrap of our case with Mr. Ernesto Miranda, and I really hope and encourage all of you to educate yourself of your rights and know how to invoke them. Exactly. Super important, because, guy, you just don't know anymore. Exactly. Well, before we let you guys go, we do have a question of the week, and that question is, what true crime television show host lost a son to a serial killer? Ooh, good one. This is a good one. Yes, it is. All right. So please visit our website. Visit the Facebook page. Please post your your guesses, your research, your hunches, what you think the answer is. So we look forward to seeing those answers. Absolutely. Thanks again for everybody from all around the corners that listen. We appreciate it. Yes. And... For next week's episode, we'll be speaking on Warren Jeff's case. Ooh. That's a big infamous case. Yes, it is. So. Very infamous. But until then, you guys all take care, be safe, and be kind out there. Yeah, stay out of trouble. Be good. Look forward to talking with you guys next week. So everybody take care. Thanks again. Take care then. All right. right, Bye. bye Bye-bye. Time for Crime is a podcast about true crime, prison life, and the opinions from the people who've worked on the inside. Please follow us and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcatching software. Help us get our voice out there. You can get more information about the podcast and this case at www.timeforcrime.net. Look for us on Twitter at Time for Crime one or on Facebook at Time for Crime Vanny Cat. Feel free to leave us a comment on our voicemail at 623-292-5871. We might even put your call on the podcast. Like it, love it, and share it, but please credit the hosts Vanessa Nunez and Kathy Delaney for their commitment to the podcast and service to the community. We'd like to send a special thanks to Nickel Ninth for the music in this podcast. We'd also like to thank Dave Kaiser and Peter Ninth for their support of the podcast and website. And most importantly, we'd like to thank you, the listener. Without you, we couldn't bring you this podcast. Take care, everyone.